You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio. If you're watching us on YouTube, please like, share, and subscribe. And if you're listening across the Big Blue View Radio network, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, looking ahead to Monday night's Giants-Seahawks Week 4 game at MetLife Stadium, I'm joined today by John Gilbert, Deputy Editor of SB Nation's Seattle website field goals to uh, to look ahead to that game. John, thank you uh, very, very much for a few minutes. Oh, well, thank you for having me on. Happy to discuss Seahawks, you know, anytime I can. And it's always good to get out to new audiences. So looking forward to it. All right. You guys do a podcast as well. We do not anymore. We had one and then it got, unfortunately, got caught up and discontinued in the the changes this spring. Um, and so we've got some unofficial ones that we do regularly, but not one that is site driven. There you go. There you go. Yeah, that that was unfortunate. But anyway, let's uh, let's get into uh, Giants and Seahawks on Monday night. And I have to start with former Giant Julian Love. Julian Love was a guy, four years with the Giants, a lot of those years he spent as a as a backup. Giants used to call him sort of the duct tape for their secondary. He wasn't necessarily a starter, but wherever they needed him, they would plug him in and he would do a an adequate to better than adequate job. Last year, he was a starter for them. One of their team captains had a really good year. A lot of Giants fans not understanding why he's in Seattle and not still with the Giants. But uh, the the question for you, John, is what is he giving the Seahawks at this point? Are you guys happy with the acquisition? Uh, what, what's he bringing to, to Seattle right now? I'm stoked with the acquisition. I love the signing back in the spring. I still love it. You know, the, the secondary as a, as a whole has had some struggles initially, um, you know, early in the season, but that's in part because of new faces. You know, they drafted Devin Witherspoon, they signed Julian Love, and it's a lot of guys who weren't playing a lot of snaps last year. And then, you know, Reek Woolen was out for almost all of training camp with a, an injury. So it's just, they, they're, they're still learning, they're still getting together. You know, Love has made a couple of fantastic plays. He's still, you know, he's had a couple of plays where fans have blamed him for a completion or whatever. Uh, but right now, the first three weeks, he's been filling in for Jamal Adams at strong safety. Um, kind of the jack of all trades, as you mentioned uh, earlier with the field with the Giants you know obviously Adams expected to come back uh, Pete Carroll says he's going to be playing on Monday night so we'll get to see him I'm assuming he's going to be filled in you know come back in some kind of strong safety role filling a lot of the role that Love had been playing and so it'll be interesting to see you know, will Love move into the slot will you know will he 
play more corner? Will they? I mean, I'm sure they're going to do some kind of safety rotations. You know, he'll play back somewhere, he'll play up some in the box, play the slot. But it's um, it's going to be. I think right now it's a very interesting interesting point of the season in terms of the secondary because we're going to get to see a lot more of the dynamism out of uh, out of love that we haven't seen yet so far because he's basically been playing strong safety while Adams recovered from his 2022 injury. How big for Seattle is the return of Jamal Adams? He's a guy who, you know, he's been looked at as a top tier safety, but then he's also been looked at as a guy who's a liability in coverage at times. How big is the return of of Adams to, to the Seattle lineup? I think from an energy perspective, you know, I'm, I think they're, there's no doubt that that's going to help. It's not going to hurt. Um, you know, exactly how fully recovered he is. I think a lot of people will have their eyes on that. You know, it's an injury A torn quadriceps tendon is not something that players typically come back from at the, at a hundred percent compared to where they were before pre-injury. So maybe there's some burst missing. Maybe there's some speed missing. That's what I think a lot of people are going to be interested in watching. Um, you know, but in terms of where he can fill in, I think the biggest thing is, you know, if he's, if he's in a position where you know they've got two guys who can play strong safety, they've got guys who can play the slot corner, they can use him as kind of a jack of all trades and not have to rely on his high level of athleticism and you know allow him to do the things that he can do best in terms of the next few weeks as he gets back up to speed, gets into game speed, NFL game speed. You know, that said, Seattle right now is sporting, I believe it's the 29th ranked scoring defense in the NFL. And I'm not expecting, you know, just the addition of Jamal Adams to, to improve that into a top 10 or a top five. I think it'll certainly, it won't hurt, but it's just going to take a whole lot of practice reps, a whole lot of weeks where these guys are together in and out day in, day out, getting reps with one another, um, understanding what each play, each other is going to do on the, you know, in different situations, in different coverages so that there aren't communications breakdowns like there have been in the first few weeks where there have been you know, busted coverages and guys going for long touchdowns because they've been left wide open in the secondary. I was going to say, you mentioned it, 29th in, in the league, I think, in uh, in points allowed. What What is the story with the Seattle defense? I mean, the Giants are, I think, 31st in the league in points scored at this point. Their offense has not been anywhere close to to what it was expected to be. Some of that is injuries to Barkley. Some of that is injuries to to a couple of the starting offensive linemen, including Andrew Thomas. But if you're the Giants this week, what is it about the, the Seattle defense that can be taken advantage of? It's that secondary. Um, you know, it's and it's not that there are it's not that they're bad players in the secondary. You know, everybody in their own is a, on their own is a good player. But playing in the secondary, stopping pass the pass in the NFL, there's got to be coordination. There's got to be, you know, especially with the amount of zone defense and everything that these teams are playing. You know, it's every week there are consistent communications breakdowns. And in week one, Matthew Stafford, I mean, he just absolutely shredded the intermediate zones. He knew exactly where his receivers were going. He knew which holes they were going to sit in, and he was throwing the ball before they were as they were breaking across behind the linebackers. You know, and if you look at like PFF or one of the advanced stats, you'll see, you know, they'll blame Julian Love uh, for getting shredded in week one, allowing, you know, so many receptions, so many yards. But it's a simple fact is that he happened to be the closest defender as the receiver was streaking through his own. And they, you know, and he caught the ball there. The 
the big thing, like I've said, is it's just going to come down to getting everyone on the same page so they know where they're supposed to be and playing assignment sound. Um, and until they get there, they're not going to be, they're going to be, you know, a bottom ranked defense or towards the bottom because the run defense has been phenomenal. Teams are running at about three yards a carry. It's not, they're not allowing big yardage on the ground. They're stopping the run. And unfortunately, you know, at this point, the pass by forcing teams to pass, you know, teams are opting not to run the ball at three yards a carry and throwing the ball at eight and nine yards a carry, uh, eight and nine yards a pass attempt, which is not great to keep other teams out of the end zone. So if the Giants are able to move the ball through the air consistently, then, you know, the, it could be an issue for Seattle on Monday night. The Giants have struggled to protect Jones. I think he's been uh, he's been hurried. I think on forty seven percent of his dropbacks this this season so far, and I think there's only three quarterbacks that have been hurried more often. What does the Seattle pass rush look like? Is this a week where maybe the Giants could give Jones a, a chance to? to sit in the pocket a little bit and and read the defense and make some throws. It's one of those things where it's it's one of those situations where something's going to have to give because this is either going to turn into a get right game for the Giants offensive line or a get right game for the Seahawks pass rush. They showed some pass rush life in the second half against the Panthers, but the Panthers are you know, their offensive line is right up there with the Giants in terms of you know, pressures allowed this season. They have they might be one of those teams that's higher than forty seven percent pressure rate. Um, you know they did get a couple sacks. They did keep Andy Dalton under pressure, especially in the second half, but they. It's, it, for all the talent, for all the high draft picks that they've spent on the, the defensive front for signing Draymond Jones in free agency and Eugene Nwosu and giving him an extension and then, you know, back-to-back second-round picks on Derek Hall uh, and Boya Mafe and the second-round pick in 2020 on Daryl Taylor. This is a front seven that has, I mean, the team as a whole has three sacks in the first three games, and one of those was on a corner blitz, blitz by Trey Brown. So it's it's been rough. Uh, there has not been a huge amount of pass rush. Like I said, it's going to be it's it's going to be a get right game for one of the groups. It's just going to ma- come down to are the is the Giants O line going to look good or is the Seahawks pass rush going to look good? Obviously, I'm hoping it's the Seahawks pass rush, um, but you know we'll we'll find out on Monday night. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. John, let's talk about the other side of the ball. The uh, Seattle offense has put up 37 points in each of the last two games. What, uh, 
what's going on there? What's been the big reason for success uh, so far from the uh, from the Seattle offense? Week one, they struggled in the second half when they lost both starting tackles, uh, both Abe Lucas and Charles Cross due to injury. Lucas is on injured reserve. He's obviously not going to play this week. Uh, Cross is has been day, listed as day to day for two weeks now, and he's been out the last two games. I'm not expecting him to play. You know, give him the week off. He gets the the Seahawks have the bye week in week five, so that gives him a couple more weeks to recover from his turf toe, which is an injury that if you reaggravate it, the whole healing process starts all back over. So, with that in mind, my guess is in week one, what they did was they were they were looking for the deep ball. They were going for the kill shot. They were trying to look at DK Metcalf deep, trying to get Tyler Lockett in the intermediate deep intermediate, um, and it just the Rams had it covered and the pass rush got there and Seattle could not move the ball in weeks two and three with those 37 points each week they moved the ball consistently Gino was slinging it they got the ball out there in week two against the Lions you know the Pete Carroll's a guy who likes a coach who loves to throw deep, wants the deep shot, has all of his receivers, you know, his guys who run four four forties, four three eight forties, and the longest reception by a wide receiver in week two against the Lions was eighteen yards. They're you know there, it's quick dropbacks. It's quick game. Gino's getting the ball where it needs to be, when it needs to be there. He's making the re- proper reads. He's, I mean, there have been a couple of ugly throws, um, you know, at times, but it's simply because he's been slinging it all over the yard and he's been phenomenal um, the last two weeks. So, how happy are you that Russell Wilson is in Denver? I'm ecstatic. <laughs> this is, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, Russ was fantastic, um, you know, and, but he, he brought his own host of issues. And it was, you know, the constant complaining about the offensive line and going on national TV and saying he's be tired of being hit. And, it, you know, it's the hot dog meme all over. It's like, Russ, like, you know, sacks are a quarterback sack. Pressure is a quarterback stat. You know, there's there's a reason Tom Brady consistently got sacked the fewest amount of times in the NFL. Same with Peyton Manning, you know, they, Eli Manning, you know, they, they made the reads, they knew what they were doing and they got the ball where it needed to be. Russ is a quarterback who he has never been able to take the step from, you know, this, where the high level of elite production, but he did it in a non-standard manner. You know, he, he ran around a lot. He, you know, got the ball on the scramble drill, the deep pass, which is great, but it's not replicable in the way that, you know, like Eli or Brady or Peyton did. And Gino, he's obviously still relatively inexperienced compared to, you know, some quarterbacks. I think even Daniel Jones has more NFL snaps than Gino Smith does at this point. But he, you know, so he's still learning. Third and long, second and long passing situations have been one of his weak spots in his two years, year plus as a starter in the Seahawks for the Seahawks. Um but he's been getting the ball where it needs to be. And he's looked better on third downs this year than he did last year. They're still struggling to convert. They're still in a lot of third and longs. They haven't been staying on schedule. Uh, Ken Walker at running back is one of those. It's a, he's a boomer bust kind of runner. Um, he doesn't have quite the highest success rate in the league, but when he does break one, it's going to a good chance. It's because he bounced it to the outside and he's got crazy speed. He's going to take it for 12 or 15 or 18 or even longer. Um, and so if they can find some kind of balance, they can get to where they're staying on schedule and Gino's not facing third and nine, third and 12 uh, consistently, then you, that's when the Seattle offense is at its strongest. When they are trying, looking for that deep shot, you know, run, run, pass is just a bad 
it's a bad recipe to have with Gino at quarterback uh, if you're left in third and long. Because, well, I mean, you, you Giants fans put up with Gino as a starter for exactly one game. Um, kind of <laughs> saw in a microcosm. I know it was five, six years ago now. But it, it's, you know, his game is he hasn't had a whole lot of playing time since then. He's got a little over a season of work. Um, and it's just, you know, the same third down issues that he displayed with the Giants are kind of the issues that he had. He still has now. They're better. He's improving. He's better this year than he was last year. But like I said, he's still relatively inexperienced as a as an NFL quarterback, despite having been in the league for over a decade. And it's just a matter of, you know, as he gets more experience, as he sees those third down situations, reads the defense more, he'll get that ball out quicker and avoid the issues that we've been seeing. John, before we move on, I do have to say one thing about Geno Smith as a giant, since you brought it up, that whole mess with Geno Smith being the starter in in the game where Ben McAdoo benched Eli Manning, you know, breaking Manning's streak of 210, 211 straight starts, something like that. That's not Geno Smith's fault. Geno Smith played okay in that game. He didn't play great. Gino probably got a little bit vilified for that. Wasn't his fault. It was a situation Ben McAdoo put him in that never should have happened. And in retrospect, you have to feel bad for Gino Smith. It just wasn't, it was not a good situation all the way around for the Giants. And it's it's a big part of the reason why neither Ben McAdoo nor GM Jerry Reese got to finish that season in their jobs with the Giants. So vilify Gino if you want for that, but that you know, it's, it's water under the bridge. It was a long time ago, but it certainly wasn't his doing at all. It's not his fault that that his name is attached to being the guy who started when Eli Manning didn't. No, absolutely. A hundred percent agree. And I, I lived in New York for 10 years. I have a ton of fan, friends who are Giants fans and, you know, they'll be more than happy to tell you that, you know, there were issues that went far, far beyond the quarterback position for that Giants team. You know, and you were talking about the Giants being one of the worst offensive lines, um, you know, at least so far this season. And, you know, my I, I could line up a parade of people who have vouched that the offensive lines that Jerry Reese ran out there were among the worst in the leagues as well. Unfortunately, the Giants are still chasing the solution to that. It's one of those deals where, they had an offensive line back in their championship days. They had an offensive line that was considered one of the, the best in the league. And they let that offensive line get old and they didn't supplement it. And by the time they started chasing the fix, that line was already broken. And, and they've spent a decade now chasing the fix and still really haven't nailed it. And unfortunately, that's that's what happens, I think, in a lot of cases with NFL teams. When you when you allow something to break, it takes a long time to put it back together. So let me go ahead. You know, that that's actually a good segue into something else I wanted to talk to you about. One of the decisions that the Giants made a year ago in trying to fix that offensive line, they had two picks in the top 10 of the draft. The direction they chose to go in was use the number five overall pick on Kayvon Thibodeau rather than take their choice of the top three offensive tackles. 
So Ikiakuanu went to Carolina at six. And then the Giants chose between Charles Cross, who landed with you guys in Seattle, and Evan Neal. Hasn't been pretty so far with Evan Neal at right tackle. Had a really rough rookie season. Got hurt in the middle of it, and I think that had something to do with it. Hasn't been great so far this season. Had a really, really rough week one against Dallas. I think he allowed eight pressures. On paper, Charles Cross has been much better if you if you go purely by the pro football focus grades. Just your thoughts on on Charles Cross and from the evidence that we've seen so far, whether you think the Giants made a mistake. Uh, personally, I do. Um, you know, not to rub it in, but I'm more than I'm ecstatic that we have Cross. Uh, you know, we can talk PFF. We can look at the grades. We can look at the pressures. You know, when you look at it, Cross, if you look at the pressures allowed, he'll be in the bottom five for most pressures allowed during the 2022 season. But he did that playing almost every snap. I think it was one or two snaps that he missed at the end of the year. He rolled his ankle or something in a game and it came out for a couple snaps. Um, but then if you look at the the stats when they're released for, you know, amount of, you know, double teams or chips or tight end help that the tackles are being given, he was almost at the bottom of the league in terms of help that he was given. So he is realistically, I mean, he was right up there performing with someone, you know, in terms of pressures allowed per snap, pressures allowed per, um, per drop back, like an Orlando Brown as a rookie without being given any help. And it's, you know, to see that from someone who has a high level of athleticism and he's extremely young, I figured he's 22 or 23 still. Uh, I mean, that's a, a position that you could have locked down for the next decade, you know, and with his athleticism, it's the kind of athleticism that you can see someone where their career, I'm not going to say that he's going to play until he's almost 40, like Andrew Whitworth or Dwayne Brown, but that's the athletic category that he falls into. And that's the kind of, you know, athleticism that can be predictive of a career that could potentially be 10 or 12 years long. And to have, you know, if you can lock down an offensive line position, a left tackle position for a decade, that's an absolutely phenomenal place to be. And, and he is playing he is playing the left side, correct? Correct. Yep. He's on the left side. And then third round pick Abe Lucas um, in 2022 was on the right side. Do Lucas will not be playing on Monday. So we'll see. Obviously, the injury report will be key. My guess is we don't see Cross on Monday. We'll see third year man Stone for excuse me, fourth year man Stone Forsyth. Uh third year. Um, but that'll be, you know, we'll We'll obviously find out on Saturday when the injury report comes out. All right. So let's finish up with this and and make a make a prediction if you want to, but and don't make one if, if you'd rather not. But how do you see the game unfolding? And you know, it's a it's a relatively close point spread. I think it started with Seattle favored and it's kind of swung to the Giants by a point or a point and a half. It's in MetLife. It's a game the Giants, to be honest, desperately need to win. They're one and two. They've got road games after Monday night at Miami and at Buffalo. So it's a game they desperately have to have. Um, how do you see the uh, How do you see the game unfolding? And if the Giants are going to win it, uh, what does that look like? 
it's if they can win it, it's going to have to look like you know them throwing the ball. They're going to be they're going to need to move the ball through the air. The Seahawks have been stout against the run, um, and they'll they'll force Daniel Jones to beat them with his arm. Um, you know they'll do do what they need to do to stop the run. That's Pete Carroll's first priority: make the Giants one dimensional, and then you know force force the receivers obviously last year that worked fantastically when they played because the you know i think you guys were without your wide receiver one wide receiver two and wide receiver three due to injury and so you know he just didn't have any weapons and seattle was able to have a pretty easy victory i'm not expecting it to be that easy this year but it's it's a pacific coast team west coast team playing in prime time against an East Coast team, and that historically 65% of the time roughly favors the West Coast team. I don't know if it's time difference or what, but it's, you know, and the Seahawks always play well in prime time. Pete Carroll always has his guys, you know, ready to go in prime time. So I think it'll start off ugly. It'll be some back and forth. Um, but my guess is it'll end up being, you know, at the end of the day, it's probably going to be a one score Seattle win, you know, whether that's something like a 27, 23 or, you know, 30 to 25, something along those lines. Uh, that's kind of what I'm expecting from the game. And uh, Giants fans know that, uh, they historically do not play well in prime time. I think Daniel Jones has the worst record of any starting quarterback ever in prime time, which which blame it on him if you want, but uh, you know, quarterbacks get numbers attached to them a lot of times that that aren't necessarily their fault. Anyway, John, appreciate the time, appreciate the uh, the input. Folks, check out field goals for the Seattle perspective as we uh, as we lead up to uh, Monday night and uh, Giants fans, thank you as always for listening. Please stay safe out there. Take care of each other and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. More to do's less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all in one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.